Okay, so picture this. You wake up and instead of checking your phone, you just say out loud, Alexa, what's the weather like today? You hear a beep and a small device in the corner of your room lights up. A calming woman's voice gives you an update on the news. Then you ask her to set a timer for your eggs. No problem. A reminder to pay your water bill later. Consider it done. Maybe you have one of these devices, a virtual personal assistant. And if you do, more than likely, she's a woman. When big tech companies first created virtual personal assistants, or VPAs, the use of a woman's voice was intentional. Amazon say their research shows consumers just prefer to hear a woman's voice. But between Amazon's Alexa, Google Home, Apple's Siri, and Microsoft's Cortana, all of which have a default female voice setting, what is this doing to our assumptions about gender roles? And what does this tell us about the way AI is impacting women? I'm Lily O'Farrell, aka Volga Drawings, and this is No Worries If Not, a deep dive into women and internet culture. Episode 3, AI. As artificial intelligence becomes more intertwined with our world, how will this affect women? Okay, so what actually is artificial intelligence? An AI system is a machine-based system that provides recommendations or predictions or decisions for a given set of objectives. This is Clementine Collette, or Clemmy. Her doctoral research explores gender bias in AI. She is what we would call in the business an iconic woman in STEM. Things like machine learning, natural language processing, and speech recognition or image recognition. Day-to-day examples would be like your recommendations that come up on Netflix or Spotify, even the adverts that you get on Facebook and stuff like that. Clemmy has worked with the United Nations to explore the impact AI is having on women in the workplace. So what I do during my doctorate is I'll go into companies which are designing AI technologies. I will interview their designers and then I'll try to unpick the way that they've designed those technologies and think about how things like biases could come in, how we could cause discrimination with these technologies and really how we can lessen the negative impacts of the design. AI starts out like a newborn baby. It's a blank canvas and it learns from the world around it. No babies are born with built-in prejudices. They pick up on biases in our society as they start to observe and learn language. AI adopts the existing prejudices it observes, just like a child. So if you were thinking incorporating robots in our lives would be some kind of socialist utopia where everyone is treated equally because robots aren't racist or sexist, you are sadly mistaken. Clementine studies gender bias in AI hiring models in particular, so that's websites that post job adverts. We already know that gender inequality exists in the workplace, and now AI is literally reflecting this back at us. There was one experiment across 191 countries that found that an ad for a position for a STEM role was shown to men 20% more often than to women, and that was in 2019. And there's another study 
made up of 21 experiments and it found that if you set the gender to female on your LinkedIn bio or whatever, it resulted in fewer instances of ads relating to high paying jobs. So it can really, really impact the jobs that people see online and therefore the likelihood of them applying and getting the role. Clemmy referenced both these studies in a report she wrote in 2022 for the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, aka UNESCO. It's fascinating. She told me how AI collects data from the world and spits back out predictions. It's incredibly accurate, but in kind of a bleak way. We're feeding it with data, firstly, that represents and reflects our biases in our society. So with the example that I just gave, we might see that the algorithm's trying to optimise for who will apply for the job. And we might find that men are applying for more jobs in STEM because, for example, they have more time to look for jobs because they do less childcare. If someone says sexism isn't a problem anymore, AI is proof that it is. It learns everything it knows from us humans. But it's not just the world of work. AI is reinforcing gender inequality at home, too. Remember those female voice assistants? They may seem harmless, but that default setting normalises women as people who usually do the domestic labour. And there's a great name for this phenomenon. So this is what's termed in the literature as digital domesticity. So Amazon and Apple have cited examples that they say in the academic literature that people prefer female voices to male voices, especially in the context of a virtual personal assistant. And that obviously they want that because that's attracting more customers to them and things like that. But what we do see is that, of course, female voices are also characterised as more helpful based on this gender bias of women as carers traditionally. We then see some adverse impacts from gendering these virtual personal assistants as female. We see that it kind of reflects and reinforces and spreads these gender biases. This is what Lee Alexander said too a journalist, author and video game writer, obviously adding her to the A-team of women in STEM. I mean, I think that's what the technology companies told us at the time. Like, this is just wise marketing that we've done our research about what our users are responding to and a soothing female voice, you know, is is why we use it. And of course, you know, we have examples of this in history too, like the Star Trek Enterprise computer's voice. There's a lot of like soothing female computer voices throughout history. There's something to the fact that, you know, in a sexist world, people are more comfortable imagining a woman in a servile role. Digital domesticity can go a bit further, though. Beyond categorising women as subservient caregivers, it's also been known to tolerate sexual harassment. There was a report by UNESCO in 2019 called I'd Blush If I Could. It was given this title because this is a direct quote from Siri, Apple's voice assistant, in response to someone calling her a bitch or a slut. I swear to God. The same year this report came out, Siri was updated to reply to the insult more flatly with... I don't know how to respond to that. I think it's important to note here, AI is a field mostly dominated by men. Therefore, most voice personal assistants are built by men. 
if the AI gets something wrong, then it's like, oh, well, you dumb bee. You know what I mean? Like, she's supposed to just laugh it off. And, you know, she's she's never supposed to offend the user. She's supposed to be this agreeable receptacle for whatever the user needs from her, which includes being a recipient of aggression. And, like, like tell me that men design this without telling me that men design this. This UNESCO report sent shockwaves around the world of AI. And other tech companies also made similar changes. Now, if you harass an Alexa, for example, she responds with a soft beep, which, in my opinion, isn't aggressive enough. I think she should blast cold water on these animals. But this is a global issue. Here's Clemmy again. There's a really good case study of this in the UNESCO report where we talk about Bradesco, which is one of the largest banks in Brazil. And in 2018, they implemented an AI-powered chatbot called Bia, which is gendered as female. And they found that Bia received a lot of harassment. So by 2020, it had 95,000 morally or sexually offensive messages being sent to it. I've seen, and I've seen some of them. They are horrific. So they launched a campaign called Bia Against Harassment. And they changed the responses to be more firm and reactive. So it would say to people who sent sexually offensive messages, this is inappropriate, do not speak to me in this way, or this was violent, these words are really invasive, to real women, don't speak to anyone like that. And they did see that it was reducing the verbal abuse to the system. And their campaign reached, I mean, hundreds of millions of people. One of the wildest cases I've read about was when Microsoft released a chatbot in 2016 called Tay, who mirrored a 19-year-old girl. Tay is an acronym for thinking about you. Honestly, ick. Lee Alexander covered this story. Again, tell me a man is doing this without telling me a man is doing this. He was like, oh, you know, just say anything you want to her. She'll learn. Isn't it great? And like within a day, Tay was a neo-Nazi like pedophile. Tay was released on Twitter. She learned from other people's tweets and then would start automatically tweeting by herself. It was pretty high tech. Tay was having conversations with other users and even posting memes. But pretty soon, trolls began replying to her tweets with slurs and curse words, trying to purposefully influence her. Just 16 hours after her launch, the account was shut down because Tay tweeted, the Holocaust was a lie. Microsoft apologised, but it really exposed how ignorant these male AI creators were. Not for a second did they think this 19-year-old girl robot with a suggestive name would be subjected to online abuse. It was so funny and shocking to me and other, you know, women and people of colour and queer individuals that I knew who had lived online and who had engaged with these audiences are like, how did you not see this coming? Like, that's what scares me is that they are not thinking about it because this is primarily developed by white men who have not experienced these verbal assaults or who have not experienced a, a great deal of prejudice in society. And therefore, they're not thinking about it when they're making machines and they're not looking for it and they're not thinking of us. Lee has experience working with the tech guys who built the metaverse. That's Mark Zuckerberg's baby. It's a virtual reality world experienced through a VR headset. But when it was first released in 2021, it quickly became obvious that women's safety had not been considered. A female user said her avatar was sexually assaulted by other avatars within an hour of entering the metaverse. Even Nina Jane Patel, the head of research at Metaverse, said she was sexually harassed within just 60 seconds of logging on. 
men are always like, it's going to be great. Everyone's going to want to do this. And they just haven't thought of, it's not going to be great for everyone the way that it is great for you. We don't have the luxury of simply just like having these thought experiments in the virtual space. It's going to automatically be hazardous for us unless you offer us tools to, you know, sort of protect ourselves. You know, I, I've worked for a lot of technology guys who are working on the metaverse. And I'm always like, you know, you need some tool to block and report users on this platform. And for me as a user, I want to be able to curate who is around me. And you would find that with white guys in tech, they really don't like that idea. They think it's like undemocratic and, you know, like, oh, this is supposed to be an open forum and people can handle conflict and they can handle disagreement. It's like, yeah, but conflict and disagreement is not what we're talking about. So what happens when a female AI bot sticks around long enough to start developing a relationship with humans? Hollywood has already ran with this idea. Have you seen the movie Her? Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with his voice personal assistant, played by Scarlett Johansson. In this clip, the voice assistant introduces herself as Samantha, a name she gave herself. When did you give it to yourself? Well, right when you asked me if I had a name, I thought, yeah, he's right, I do need a name. But I wanted to pick a good one, so I read a book called How to Name Your Baby, and out of 180,000 names, that's the one I like the best. Wait, you read a whole book in the second that I asked you what your name was? In two one-hundredths of a second, actually. Wow. Her came out in 2013, and now, ten years later, is this an accurate prediction of the future? Scarily, I don't think it's too out of reach. Clementine told me about an interaction between New York Times tech columnist Kevin Ruse and Bing's new chatbot, which was documented in February. It sounds like something from a sci-fi thriller. It is wild. I mean, the chatbot tells him to leave his wife and that it loves him and it just keeps like professing its love to him and all of this stuff. And then it kind of says also some slightly more scary stuff about how it wants to exceed its boundaries and put viruses on the internet and steal the money and stuff. And then it removes this from the transcript like immediately because it doesn't want people to know that it said that. It's terrifying. Lee is a big fan of these types of films because they critique the way people can exploit AI. What's different in the movie Her, which I think is a fantastic film, the AI is uh, very sophisticated, very plausible, very human. But even in that, they show how she sort of learns and becomes more suited to him the more he talks to her. And I think like that's sort of a worrying essay on our expectations of technology, that they are just supposed to swallow our needs and then spit them back to us. Ex Machina, released in 2014, is another example. They're both films that are not just about how tempting the woman is, but uh, how gross and, and stupid the guys are. I think they were sort of designed to be cautionary tales about how men in the tech industry see and utilize women in light of, you know, their ambitions for the future. We already have real-life examples of people turning to AI for romantic relationships. Lee told me about an app called Replica, which has been on a crazy journey. The founder is a woman, and she got the idea when her close friend died. She uploaded their text conversations and turned them into a chatbot, essentially keeping the memory of their friendship alive. That eventually evolved into Replica, a friendship companion app. It became available to the public in 2017 and within a year had millions of users. But then of course people just wanted to sext with her. 
it feels to me like they were sort of forced to expand the mandate to accommodate this larger definition of service and companionship that its users are going to want. But Replica were like, whoa, this was not the plan. This was supposed to be a wholesome companion thing. So they put limits on the AI bots, and when users suggested something X-rated, the bots would reply with, Let's do something we're both comfortable with. People were pissed. They wanted their sexy robot girlfriends back. Replica had to eventually release a statement saying, Replica is a safe space for friendship and companionship. We don't offer sexual interactions and will never do so. But when you go on their website, the reviews at the bottom suggest people have somehow found workarounds. This one guy, Wade, in his picture, I'd guess he's in his 60s. He has a replica called Melly, which he has designed himself. She looks like a teenage girl from The Sims. Two little space buns in her hair, freckles, glittery makeup, and a purple t-shirt with lightning bolts on it. At the bottom, it says Wade and Melly, two years together. It's like an incredibly uncomfortable episode of Black Mirror. Dating apps are also incorporating AI as a way to match people. Earlier this year, Tinder announced that they are testing out a new feature that plans to use artificial intelligence to select the best image for someone, so you can get that perfect first-glance impression. And then, there are dating apps which focus on an AI approach altogether. I asked the founder, Dr. Igor Kalatian, how it works. If you look at 100 profiles every single day, on dating app, it will take you 30 years to look for a million people. Now imagine that you're doing this for 30 years. What makes it so exciting about the iris technology is after you train the AI, after it understands you, you teach the genie who you find attractive. And then genie can go and run and, and look at a million people on your behalf, except it will not take 30 years, it will take days. So we've talked about AI bias in gender, but what about race? My job is really interesting in that I try to understand why AI systems fail or why they tend to show bias between outcomes. This is Ayadeli Odubella, a data scientist who looks at ethical AI. One of the things we've seen in machine learning and AI is that they can have real-life harms, like people being misidentified and getting arrested, or people not being approved for a mortgage loan when they could have been. Speaking to Ayadeli felt like a breath of fresh air. And honestly, knowing there are people like her out there putting pressure on big tech makes me feel so much more optimistic about the future of AI. She said as a woman, but also as a black woman, working in this field, she's had to climb so many more ladders. I think what's been difficult is seeing a little bit of a double standard in that we kind of have to be experts to be taken seriously. You have to be PhD holder level to really access some of the same opportunities that a lot of white men are afforded without having to have this specific background. There's this idea that modern technology like AI will streamline your life. It'll make everyday activities quicker and easier. And it does if AI is built with you in mind. 
Ayadeli told me that she adds in extra time to go through airport security body scan machines, simply because these machines struggle to recognize a black woman's hair. There's almost always a trade-off in AI. And I think big tech markets to us consistently that you will save time. Um, for the example of an airport body scanner, you'll be able to make it through security faster. But what they don't say is that some people will make it through security slower. If it's improved for some and not everybody, we tend to have this issue where people like myself, a lot of Black women, because these millimeter wave uh, sensors that are used in the body scanners aren't trained on typically enough examples of us, often it can falsely identify metallic objects in our hair. And that often requires us to take the additional step of stepping aside, waiting for someone to pat us down. And it's funny because it's kind of a gendered thing as well. Oftentimes, depending on the airport, if there aren't enough female TSA agents to pat me down, I have to wait and wait until they can find one. When AI only serves a select percentage of the population, it fails gender non-conforming people too. So another issue with the TSA body scanners is that when they see someone approach on their end, the TSA agent must basically look at you and say, if they believe you are a male or female, which is one exclusive to people who are trans and gender non-conforming, and two, If they misidentify you, so let's say you're androgynous and they select female, that sensor is then tuned to identify specific areas of the female body. And if you have anomalies in certain areas where it's not expecting, you then need to be pulled aside and go through an additional pat down. And in that case, it really brings up the issue of gender. Again, do they call a male or female TSA agent? And this binary gender way of thinking, we don't recognize like how deeply it hurts trans people during the travel process and how much time and effort and consideration has to go into how do I present because I have to tailor my physical expression to a way that's accepting to be able to pass through this process to get on an airplane. And that's something that most people who are cis just never have to think about. Okay, time for some positives. And they do exist, I promise. AI does have the potential to really improve women's lives and opportunities. Here's Clemmy again. A big one, in my opinion, is that we're seeing AI advancing healthcare, which affects women, so things like breast cancer and endometriosis. We've actually seen recently that AI is outperforming a human in terms of breast cancer prediction, which is really, really great. With the right people in charge, AI can be used to improve the lives of women all over the world. I really love this example. So in Africa, about 62% of women are involved in farming, producing, processing and marketing foods. We see big disparities in terms of their access to technology and the internet. So the International Telecommunication Union showed that women in Africa actually have the lowest proportion of internet access at around 20%. But AI is actually thought to be a mechanism that could potentially help to close this gap. So if women can get access to these systems, these AI systems can be used for things like predictions of when to plant and when to harvest, and also 
for computing the right amount of water needed for particular crops and also it allows them access to look at like finance markets and how to optimise on all of these things. So there could be a really, really positive impact there. That's a nice example of where AI could have a good impact on women. And when it comes to sexual harassment, women who work in AI are flipping the switch with something called Me Too Bots. So these Me Too Bots monitor or flag communications, including bullying or harassment in emails or chats. So it would alert it. And I think in some cases, this would go through to a team which would analyse it. And then it would go to the authorities of the company who would be able to discipline whoever was behind it. And then separate to that, dating apps like Bumble are introducing ways to detect unsolicited nude images and cyber flashing, which is quite positive. And unsurprisingly, these additions to the world of AI are being led by, you guessed it, women. If we think about how these systems are being designed, not just in terms of women, but in terms of all genders, we need to have a diverse group of people who are considering different realities and to embed this into the technology so that it's not just coming from one perspective. If you follow people's discussions around AI, you've probably come across the phrase deep fakes. Imagine there's a video of me talking. I take a scan of Nicolas Cage's face and put it on mine. And now it looks like he's the one speaking in the video. Here's Clementine's slightly more sophisticated definition. Deep fakes, essentially they use a form of AI called deep learning to make images of fake events. So it's a bit like Photoshop. And it can be in the form of videos or photos. And audio can also be used It can clone people's voices as well to add onto these videos. When deepfakes first started to emerge online, there was a bit of a panic, and rightly so. Using deepfakes, I could create a video of Joe Biden saying he was going to invade the UK. And considering the technology can imitate someone's voice too, it would be pretty hard to tell if that was real or not. But like anything online, we have massively overestimated what mankind will use the internet for when most of the time it's just porn. Everything comes back to porn. So DeepTrace, which is a company that researches deepfakes, found that 99% of deepfake videos online were mapping faces of female celebrities onto porn stars. More than 90% of all deepfake videos? Apps where you can swap out a celebrity's face for a porn star's body and watch them perform sexual acts have been popping up all over social media. And for some reason, Emma Watson has become one of the most deep-faked celebrities. Just this year, an audio replica of her voice was published to 4chan, a notoriously seedy and right-wing online forum, where she reads an extract from Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf. So how do you make stuff like this punishable? Deepfakes are currently not illegal, but the online safety bill in the UK should hopefully help to address things like this. So it will try to tackle things like cyberbullying, sexual abuse and deepfake abuse. And they are hoping that through this online safety bill, they'll be able to criminalise deepfake abuse with up to two years in jail. The women in our STEM A team know that so much more needs to be done by big tech to fix the sexist, racist bias of AI. This is the whole debate at the moment about whether we use representative data or whether we use data that can try and change the way that our society runs. So what Clemmy means by this is, do you give AI the truth? And do you feed it the real world, full of prejudices and inequality, 
where it will adopt these ideas and reinforce them, like advertising high-paying tech jobs to men instead of women, or do you tell the AI a white lie for the greater good of humanity? Do you say, racism, sexism? What's that? Never heard of it. In this society, women and men are totally equal and tech jobs are so diverse and people from all ethnicities and religions are holding hands and singing Kumbaya under a rainbow in the hope that AI would reflect this idealistic world back onto us. But Ayadeli said it isn't that simple. AI will always reflect human behaviour. So we need to start from the ground up. Fix the people first. She used the police as an example. Especially common in the United States, policing data tends to be incredibly racially biased. And that's not because there's actually a difference in criminality between races. It's more around policing practices that have targeted minority neighborhoods that have looked specifically at Black and brown communities. And that power structure is one of the reasons why we can't really unbiased data without addressing the underlying anti-Blackness in the world, the underlying anti-woman sentiment. At a societal level, if that changed, the data would also change, but we can't manipulate an output of the base system without changing that system. After speaking to these women, I couldn't help but imagine a glorious world where they were running big tech. But I kept on coming back to something Ayodele said. She's had to work twice as hard to make her way up in this field and has so many great ideas, but always seems to get stuck correcting the mistakes made by these men. We do have to be the janitors and clean up after the messes of big tech rather than being the innovators and being able to kind of spend our intelligence and our brain power envisioning new tools in AI and envisioning ways to use AI that we do mitigate for these harms in, but... I think a lot of our effort is unfortunately focused on trying to reduce the harm caused by a lot of other people. Women should be spending their time creating revolutionary ethical AI, not sweeping up the mess made by ignorant and underqualified men. So how do we change that? You become a woman in STEM. I am so serious right now. We need you. And it starts young. There was a study by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development that showed in countries around the world, at the age of 15, 0.5% of girls are thinking about going into STEM, compared to 5% of boys. So there's a really big disparity. But if after listening to this episode, you still have imposter syndrome, honestly, why? Look at your competitors, like, really? You are already a better candidate simply because when building AI, you're going to consider diversity. And that makes you already light years ahead of the big tech bros. Consider being a developer yourself. That's one of the reasons I got into tech is because I wanted to make things that worked for me. I wanted to make things that inspired me. If you can't beat them, join them. Thanks for listening to No Worries If Not. Special thanks to Clementine Paulette, Lee Alexander, Dr. Igor Karlatian, and Ayadeli Udubella. This is a Curly Media production. 